better or worse, that's, that's, that's what we're going to decide for the public. No one in this movie behaves like a real human being. And I mean... It never gets off to a smooth start. A, a bit of a cop-out creatively, don't you think? Um, well, I mean, we have very nice names. <laughs> Our last podcast, I, I, uh, I was uh, alcohol-free. I had reservations. Leah Remini or somebody could do a show about this shameful period of my life. Uh, is that, that's, what, that's what we're on, right? Batman Forever yeah, returns yeah. forever. Okay. This is Max and Jason Watch a Movie, Episode 3. Today we're going to be covering Batman Forever. And it's another bumpy ride, so buckle up. All right, guys, because I mangled the recording, you're going to join us mid-conversation with me telling Jason or asking Jason... You have some notes for us, some production notes to... <laughs> you need to tell us... How exactly did we get to this space, this, well, this it, place? Uh, yeah, well, I, I, I got to tell you, um, uh, our last podcast, I, I, uh, I was uh, alcohol-free. But for this one, I, I, had to, I have to imbibe a bit because... I don't, uh, I don't blame you. Yeah, these films, uh, as we'll see, I have, I have specific opinions about them. But um, yeah, I... Um, it, it was really very interesting to kind of learn about the history mm -hmm. uh, be kind of between the films that, that basically um, Batman Returns, when they did Batman Returns, Warner Brothers was very confident with Tim Burton. They told him to Burtonize it, you know, uh, which is kind of what we had talked about. That, yeah. You know, that, that it's a bit more Burton-y than the first Batman movie. And um, but then what happened was, even though Batman Returns was successful, um, it... <sighs> Didn't quite measure up, obviously, to the first film's yeah. gross. Um, but the bigger problem came when there was a complaint about uh, the level of violence of the movie. Okay. And McDonald's began to complain because um, they had all of this merchandise okay. uh, that was, you know, the Happy Meal that was being marketed to children. And there were a lot of parents who felt like that it was not a good thing that McDonald's was marketing this movie that was really not for kids. Yeah. Um, I don't quite remember that. Of course, I wasn't a kid. We weren't kids. You know, we no, weren't no. Uh, real young at that time. But uh, w that's when Warner Brothers, actually, they flipped on Burton pretty quickly. Okay. And they decided that, well, we can't have that. And, you know, we, we need to go in a different direction. Now, they didn't want to lose Burton at this point. But they definitely realized that, you know, what, something that George Lucas had learned, that the money's all in the merchandising. Yeah, yeah. And action figures or whatever. And so they definitely wanted a Batman 3. But I guess the, the way the story goes is that they called Burton in mm -hmm. and he was on board. I mean, he was he was ready to continue the story. It was going to okay. be called, I believe, Batman Continued. Okay. It's a terrible title, and but okay. It is, it is. But he went into the, to the meeting with the, the Warner execs and he was pitching them the movie. And they kept saying to him, Tim, don't you want to do a smaller movie? You know, like what you're used to, that kind of thing. Don't mm -hmm. you want to get away from these blockbuster kind of things? And Burton was like, you don't want me to do the movie, do you? No, 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 no. We, we, we want you to do the movie. You know? and, and he knew right then they were unhappy with Batman Returns. They mm -hmm. were trying to find a way to basically demote him, which they did to producer. Yeah. And um, I, I was not able to confirm. I don't think he actually was involved in the project very long. I, I couldn't confirm that, uh -huh. but the, the evidence to me seems to be that he bailed out at a certain point when he saw the direction, the way things were going. Mm -hmm. Uh, I did find that he did end up choosing Joel Schumacher, but Schumacher was brought in to try to to bring in a lighter tone. That is a, that is definitely what Warner's wanted. They mm -hmm. wanted 
They wanted a little bit more of the old Adam West Batman yeah, yeah. kind of thing. Now, now here's an interesting thing. At that time, at that time when Burton left the picture, Billy D. Williams was not signed, but was set to play Two-Face. Okay. Michelle Pfeiffer was set to come back. Michael Keaton was set to come back. And, and Keaton remained involved like, like to a very late date. Like he, uh, he worked with Schumacher and he was going to be Batman. And so he bowed out, like not necessarily at the last minute, but pretty late. Um, so uh, it was definitely going to be a sequel. It was going to pick up on certain story threads from the previous film. Yeah. Um, when Burton was no longer gonna, going to direct, Schumacher came in and wanted to do something different. Interestingly, he wanted to do Batman Year One. Well, I know that he wanted to do Batman Year One. I think he mentions this after Batman and Robin, I believe. Yep. And uh, at that point, as we'll see, the damage has been done. That would have been an impossible transition, I think, because that's fairly serious material. And Schumacher might have wanted to do it. And he might have been a good director. He's a really hit or miss director. When he's on, he's, yeah. I mean, he's a great director. When he's off, he's a Batman and Robin director. So yeah. yeah, well, and Keaton, I think, would have been on board with that. Oh, yeah. Because apparently I found a podcast interview where Keaton mentions, uh, I don't know when it, when the podcast was, but it was it was after the, the Nolan films. Mm -hmm. Michael, Ke Michael Keaton loved the Nolan films, and he loved Christian Bale. And he okay. said that was what he wanted. That's the kind of film that he actually wanted to be a part of. And he brought that up. Yeah. Uh, in the pre-production of this film and and everybody kept like blowing him off and not taking his advice and that's when he left yeah um schumacher uh just uh, brought in val kilmer who he he had seen uh a tombstone okay and he really really liked uh how he looked in that film and yeah. he thought that he would be a good batman so he brought him in uh and then he just started bringing in all kinds of kind of schumacher people like uh uh tommy lee jones who had Worked with him on the client. Okay, yeah, yeah, and so I didn't know that was a Schumacher film, but yes, yeah, and in fact, written by the same screenwriter that wrote Batman Forever and uh, Batman and Robin. Okay, yeah, so but 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 I did. Uh, there was one early meeting when Schumacher and Burton met with uh, Lee and Janet Scott Batchelor, I uh, the married couple's uh, writing team. Okay. And that they had a, a meal, and the two of them said, "Well, you know, we think Batman's about uh, about duality. We want to focus on duality." Mm -hmm. And Burton was like, "Okay, yeah, that's exactly what we want." Um, which is which is probably the only thread that actually runs through all four of these uh, pre Nolan films. It's yeah, kind yeah. Of, it's almost like I mean that 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 concept is so omnipresent that. There's never a time where you get a break from it, actually. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, but we can get into that. But there's no doubt that Schumacher wanted to incorporate some origin stuff. Yeah. Uh, um, which he does. Uh, so I don't know if he would actually call it a soft reboot. I've never heard anybody say that. No. Um, but he definitely wanted a different feel. And uh, in, in the production design, in, in the story, and, and so forth. So, um, but believe it or not... It was not expected to do well. Oh, really? No, I, I did not know this. Now, um, uh, I didn't mention anything about Jim Carrey's casting. Uh, Robin Williams was the original uh, uh, choice. And Marlon, we uh, Marlon Wayans had been signed to play Robin. Okay. 
like he was actually signed. So in fact, I, I did see it. I, I found a little thing where Marlon Wayans still gets royalties. Oh, really? To this day, even oh, though wow. he didn't, because he was signed. Whereas Billy D. Williams didn't because he, he was only signed for the first Batman. That's crazy. So, yeah. But uh, I, I did see an interview with Schumacher in which he points out that today it looks like an all-star cast. Yeah. But he kind of he kind of says, really, at the time, it wasn't. I could see that. I could yeah. see that. Jim Carrey was just starting to get his legs underneath him. I don't yeah. think the Ace Ventura movies had happened, had they? Uh, the first one had. Okay, okay. Um, and, of course, he was on In Living Color. But yeah. he, he was not the, you know, movie of the year. I mean, he, he was a blockbuster comedian yeah. uh, by the end of the 90s. Absolutely. But I think that was just beginning. Like, he was just kind of getting ready to kind of break, break loose. I think the most Val Kilmer has was was a was a very solid bankable star. I think um, not really yeah. a guy who carried a lot of movies. Right. Uh, Tommy Lee Jones, good actor, but I guess I guess I could see where Schumacher is coming from. Yeah. But that's interesting. Yeah. Anything else? Anything else in the production side? Um, I, that's that's the main bit. I mean, uh, and then you know, leading up to the. Uh, the release, uh, there was a lot of skepticism. There was a lot of people who were skeptical about dumping Keaton, mm-hmm. dumping Burton. No one really thought that it would be that successful, like like a moderate hit at best. Mm-hmm. And how did it do? Uh, it it outperformed Batman Returns okay. by a by a pretty large margin. It was one of the biggest movies of the year, and 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 set. A, a weekend record, opening weekend record at the time. Uh, long since broken, long since well, yeah, yeah. But that's not a small thing. I mean, that's that's a, a pretty big deal. Well, I mean, I, I think at the time, I mean, there would have been some excitement about Val Kilmer. I was excited about Val Kilmer. Um, I was. I read a lot of the trade magazines. You know, uh, Starlog. Uh, oh, I can't remember. There's the there's a little section in every mag in every bookstore where they've got like the the uh, movie magazines, the Fangora and all that stuff. And there were a few that are dedicated to like comic book movies. And I remember reading interviews where Val Kilmer said one of the stipulations was that he would be able to turn his head. Yeah, you may remember that. And people were talking, people, there was a buzz the, in these magazines and in the, uh, all of these magazines back in the day got like their own. Do you remember this? They would get their own big, the magazine and it would like go behind the scenes. Uh, so there'd be, I remember I got my first one of those was like Return of the Jedi. And it was this whole magazine dedicated to the production, to to the actor interviews, to right. special effects, to story bits that we didn't get. And they had one of these for Batman Forever. And I think I bought it. I certainly read it. And there was a buzz about Jim Carrey's performance as the Riddler. And so I was excited about it. I, I could see how other people would be excited about it. It might break a weekend record, you know, just to rush out and see, oh my God, this is a, might be a different kind of Batman movie than what we just had. They're right about that. We were all right about that, but yeah. um, better or worse, that's, that's, that's what we're going to decide for the public. <laughs> right. Um, and so, yeah, Val Kilmer, I was excited about him. I wasn't as excited about Jim Carrey. I would not have been excited about the weigh-ins. Uh, I don't think that they're good actors. They're good in comedies, but I don't, I don't think they're great actors. I don't think that would have been a good choice for Robin. Well, I remember that choice. I mean, Marlon Wayans was discussed, I think, not long after the original movie came out. Okay. I mean, Tim Burton had kind of picked him Okay. Um, at a very early time, and he stuck with him. But 
he just kept put like in fact during the making of batman returns there was mm -hmm. a talk about putting robin in the film gotcha. and they decided not to because they already had so many characters and and burton was like well you know hey if this is going to be a series we'll just put him in the next one yeah so robin was always going to be in this film even if tim burton did end up directing it that was the plan Okay, uh, so then they end up going with O'Donnell at some point. Who's a, who's okay? On the comic book side of things, this movie will be a pretty big departure from the kind of dark tone that had been set by the earlier era of comic books and certainly by the first two films. And the, the, of course, we have a very dark tone from Batman Returns. So that's going to be a big departure from that and in Batman Forever. So this film definitely is more in the spirit of the 66 Batman show than, than the other films. It's not right. all the way there yet. That comes later. But well, it's, fu it's funny you say that because actually um, I, I watched a, a, there's a little documentary piece that I think was originally released in the mid-2000s with all four films when they were released okay. to, DVD, to DVD. And uh, Mike Luslan, who I mentioned in the, the, the last two films, or the first film, Mm -hmm. uh, who was still an executive producer at this point. He kind of very diplomatically kind of points out what you just said, yep. but he actually puts Batman Forever in the solidly in the late 40s okay. era of Batman. So not quite 50s, 60s camp, yeah. uh, but definitely no longer the, the, the Dark Knight detective kind of feel. Uh, under the shadow of the controversies of the seduction right. of the innocent, which we talked about in the last film, which was a book... Uh, that that castigated comic books pretty harshly for the listeners who didn't miss who didn't get that. So okay, I can see that. I can see that. I mean, I often think that Schumacher, if if you look at the enthusiasm with which he sort of dives into camp and stuff like that, I sort of thought he wanted to do the '66 show. He doesn't. Yeah. He, he doesn't get there in this one, but there are hints that it's coming. Yeah. Oh, definitely. And we'll and so we, we'll get into that. I'll be uh, taking a lot of drinks. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, go ahead. Well, I was just going to, what did you think of it at the time when you um, saw it? I had, I liked it. I liked it. Uh, I was, I had reservations. I had reservations about Jim Carrey, who I, who I, who I thought wasn't doing Riddler, but he was doing Jim Carrey bits. And I had a lot of reservations about Two-Face. I was still chapped about not getting my Billy D. Williams Two-Face. Right. Uh, because I thought he would have been great. I would have loved to have seen him be a bad guy. And Tommy Lee Jones is so bad as Two-Face. That, I mean, that, that's, that stood out to me at the time. As much as I enjoyed watching Val Kilmer jump around and be a fairly interesting Batman, I, I was totally disappointed in Tommy Lee Jones, which I, which I did not expect to be. He is great. so over the top and so bad. And, and, and not just his acting, but everything about him, the scarification that he has is basically one level above the Power Rangers monsters, you know? It's just terrible. I think it was painted largely so that it would look funny under blacklight, because it does yeah. it does have some effects under blacklight, which Schumacher is in love with in these in this film and in Batman and Robin. He Two Face even more so than Jim Carrey, who I who I who I didn't like in the film very much. I as as much as I didn't like Jim Carrey, I disliked Tommy Lee Jones even more. I thought, why am I watching this clown? I don't, this isn't Two-Face. Your thoughts? Well, I feel like that Leah Remini or somebody could do a show about this shameful period of my life. I loved the film yeah. when it came out. Okay. I, I loved it better than the first two. 
Yeah, I, I remember you. I remember. I remember the time you saying that. Whatever, whatever misgivings we have, whatever sins the first Batman commits, it never commits any of the terrible sins that happen in in Batman Forever. Yeah. The uh, so in the film, the Riddler creates this device that can take people's memories and utilize their minds to strengthen his own. And there's a really terrible scene where he's collecting these rays in a wand and he puts it on his forehead and he pretends to be affected by it. And then Tommy Lee Jones pretends to be affected by it. And they had this little fight that's supposed to be comedic, but is, is really horrifying in how badly it's done. I, you know, I remember at the time you pointing that out. You gave me pause. I was like, really? Was that bad? I'm not sure. Um, but, you know, I, I actually think, and I actually felt this way when I looked at Batman Returns at the time, like we just doing just having both just done Batman Returns. That actually, at the time, the reason I like Batman Returns is that to me it corrected some of the mistakes that the first film made. What mm -hmm. I kind of didn't zero in on at the time was that everything that the first film had done well, Batman Returns then just kind of dropped the ball on all of that. Yeah. With Batman Forever, I want to say the same thing. That actually, because um, at the time, I, well, I'll always give you my perspective at the time. You know, I was lukewarm on the original Batman. I was, I guess, I was one of a few. I was lukewarm on Batman Returns. I, you know, I, I felt that neither film really lived up to what I wanted. And I went into this film. It kind of grabbed me right from the start. You start with those Richard Donner Superman credits with the names yep. swiping towards you in this thing, and it's just going to be an epic feel. You start off with, what, what is actually, I don't want to say any more that it's well done, mm -hmm. but the opening action scene is a good intro to the film, which, um, which I don't think the first two films necessarily have. We have a trap set for Batman. We have, we have someone that he has to save. And, and, and of course, uh, the trap is, is an attempt to, uh, to punish Batman for what happened to, uh, to Two-Face. And I just remember in the theater being like, okay, this is what I always wanted. And you alluded to it, the action scenes, specifically Val Kilmer yep. in the suit, uh, doing action scenes, much, much better than the Absolutely. first two films. And I noticed that in the theater. And, and then I think just kind of the grandeur of the cast. I mean, I know that Schumacher says that really they weren't stars at the time, but I knew who they all were. Yep. And I just kind of enjoyed all of them being in these roles. And I just had, I had a lot of fun with it. I left the theater very, very happy. I left the theater much more, in a much more mixed state of mind because I did see what you saw. I saw, man, Val Kilmer's doing great. Uh, this, there's a scene early on when he saves a bunch of people, or he saves a guy from Harvey Dent and his crew as they're trying to steal a safe from a bank. And Val Kilmer's moving very well, or his stunt double's doing very well. They're, however that's being handled, it's it, it's... It's, it's, it's a very good fight scene. Batman's moving around very dynamically. Val Kilmer looks good in the role. He sounds good in the role. But at the same time, I was also keying in on the other things that I absolutely detested from, from the jump. The opening scene, the first line of dialogue, I think is from Alfred to Batman. Won't you take a sandwich, Master Wayne? And... Batman turns and he says, I'll get, I'll get drive through. <laughs> Immediately I'm like, I cringed. I, I think I cringed in the, I know I cringed when I watched it again recently. But then the thing that I do remember really hating was the new Batmobile. I hated that thing so much because it comes up and it is covered in garish lights 
there's nothing subtle about it. Like if you're an agent of the night and you're a ninja and you, your whole, your <laughs> whole modus operandi is stealth. Why is your car covered in aftermarket lighting? You know, I, it, it just, it really bugged me right away. And so all these things are building up in my mind. Uh, all of the neon lights on everything, neon lights on the guns that, uh, that uh, Harvey Dent's bad guys have. It was hard not to notice that. So I'm enjoying the, the Val Kilmer doing stuff, but then I'm seeing all these things that just, as a comic book reader at the time, I was just like, oh, I don't know. What are we, what are we doing here, guys? But that, yeah. was, that was what was going on in my head at the time. See, I, and it's really interesting that now I hate all that stuff. Yeah. And, and I wonder, why the hell did I put up with that in 1995 yeah. and then later 1997? And I, I, I wonder if the reason is the incredible blow that Nolan's Batman Begins actually struck on, mm-hmm. on, the, movie go- on the moviegoer's psyche. Yeah. That, that, that Nolan finally nailed what it was that everyone was really looking for. Yeah. Because, because everything, you know, we've talked about good... Uh, good elements of all these films. When Batman Begins came out all these years later, it took all those elements and mixed them together and, and sifted out all the crap. Yeah, yeah. And, and, I, and I just kind of wonder if I just, you know, at that time, I, I wasn't, I didn't know what I wanted. I didn't know what was possible. Yep. And I, I went with it. On, on this film, I went with it. My perspective has changed Actually, significantly yeah. on almost on almost everything except the fight scene. I actually I like the fight scenes. I think that they look pretty good. Yeah, I think. I, I mean, I think that looking back at the time period, though, we were still in that 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 action movie dry spell, and we were always wanting a good action sci-fi movie. Uh, and for a little while, I mean, I saw this I, as much as I'm complaining about. It, I'm sure I saw it three or four times in the theater. You know, yeah. even even with all of my reservations, because. I wanted to watch Batman movie, right? You know, I, I wanted to go see a Batman movie and this is what they gave me. You know, uh, there are something that I do like about this movie. I still like it to this day. I love the interactions between Val, Kil- uh, between Al- Val Kilmer and Alfred. They're yeah. a lot of fun when they're solving the Riddler's riddle- riddles. Yeah, yeah. Uh, not entirely unclever, sir. <laughs> you know, yeah, when, when, yeah. when Batman solves something, Alfred certainly takes more of a backseat in this, in this film than uh, he has in previous in the previous two installments where he's actively helping Bruce engage with uh, with the villains. But uh, in the early part of the film, the first act, uh, Val Kilmer and Alfred are solving the riddles. Right. Uh, so I enjoyed all of those interactions. Uh, I enjoyed their wise Alfred. I think Alfred has been good throughout all of these films. So, I mean, I can see why you liked it. Why I, I mean, I, as much as I complain about it, at the time, I still, oh, let's go see Batman. Let's go see Batman Forever. But I mean, there was still this creeping campiness. When we talk about the art direction of Batman 1989, was it's a very sensible piece of art direction. The Art Deco themes, the, uh, the music, everything makes a lot of sense. The costumes make sense. When we get to Batman Forever, things are starting to fall apart in terms of the the architecture of goth there are these giant statues that make absolutely no sense in terms of physics in terms of uh, architecture the buildings have gotten weirder the city makes the city doesn't make a lot of sense now that started to happen in batman returns that trend of the city the architecture not making sense continues in this film and of course 
in Batman Forever, uh, Batman and Robin, it reaches its apotheosis of Without a doubt. of of senseless architecture. So I just I didn't understand that. I mean, I guess it seemed to me that Schumacher didn't understand what was going, why Burton did all that stuff. Well, what it is, Schumacher just had a different vision. I mean, yep. it was a conscious choice, but he felt that he was making a comic book. Okay. So so I think he misunderstands the aesthetic of a good comic book story because I think in Schumacher's, well, you know, I grew up with these things and, and, you know, comic books have these flashy colors. And so he wanted all of these very bright colors and uh, something that is not really in the first, in the first Batman movie. I'm not sure what universe the Schumacher films take place in. It's not earth. I don't think. (laughs) I I, I don't. No, it's, 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 it's certainly, Maybe it's maybe it's like a magical reality, a magical realism. I think maybe it's in that that genre of fiction. But but the city doesn't make sense. You can't really you can't really make any sense of place in the first film, the first Tim Burton film, Batman. You got the sense that this that you could go places in this city, that it wasn't just vignettes that sat in a studio, right? Um, and that's vanished in Batman Forever. Everything seems like it's an unreal place that has no connection with reality and no connection with each other in 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 a, in, in the same physical universe. I think a good example of that might be uh, when you go from, say, Bruce Wayne's boardroom—not boardroom, but the the lab, the lab where we first meet Riddler. Yep. You know, it's kind of a crazy place. It doesn't make sense in terms of a real lab. Uh, that's okay. Whatever. I can I can deal with that. But but then you go to a place from there in this universe to a place like uh, Harvey Dent's lair. That makes no sense. It's uh, this incredibly decorated uh, monument to the two halves of his psyche, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, he's got two personalities, but would it really be that cleanly? uh, Would would each of them have such a clean art direction, you know, (laughs) on either side of the room? And that's actually one of Jim Carrey's funnier bits. One of the only bits that I think works is when he comes in and he starts talking about like, uh, oh, I love what you've done with the place and what you've done with the place. It's so you, and it's so you. And that's actually one of the few bits that work very well by him. It's not Riddler. That's not something Riddler would do. I'm, I've spoken for a little while. What do you think? Uh, out the production design or the cast? Well, just, 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 yeah, wherever you want to leap off at. I also, I dislike the, the production design. I don't like it. I don't like how the film looks visually. Actually, almost everything I'm going to talk about uh, from my perspective is going to be about all the different elements that really painfully kicked me out of the movie and they didn't use and they didn't used to and now they and now they they just do and and it wasn't it wasn't just this time it was actually it it was streaming on netflix a couple years ago yeah i just turned on i haven't seen this in a long time i love this movie oh my god (laughs) yeah yeah, Yeah. and and i was i was floored at just like wow this might be worse than batman and robin (laughs) Which of course, which of course, everyone knows. Yeah, it's, it's famously like the worst movie ever made. Yeah. Um, I'm like, man, this is really bad. I I can't believe this. And so this time, I kind of I kind of wanted to watch it and and just kind of assess. Okay, what is it about this movie that doesn't really work? Mm-hmm. And really, virtually all of it for me, except for the aforementioned fight scenes. Yep. One of the things that really stuck out for me this time there is a bit of a tonality problem mm-hmm. um i actually don't dislike the music yeah. it's not it's not danny elfman but at the same time it's out of place it, it's kind of this i mean in its own way it's a bit 
sweeping and grand. Especially, I mean the the, yeah. the the bat the Batman Forever March. I don't know what the piece is called, but yeah. um, it is um, works. It works for the action scenes and so forth. However, it doesn't always fit the tone yeah. of what the film often does. I actually think that the worst thing about this film are the characters. No one in this movie behaves like a real human being. And I mean, nobody, <laughs> nobody. Yeah. And, and that just, that hit me right in the face every time that, uh, with, with virtually every character. Yeah. Um, uh, now, uh, Val Kilmer, I, I almost, I kind of give him a pass. Yeah. I, I agree with you about the, the, the scenes between Bruce Wayne and Alfred. And I would actually say this, to give, to give Kilmer a little bit more credit. I know a lot of people say Michael Keaton is better. I would say Michael Keaton is the better Bruce Wayne yeah. and Val Kilmer was the better Batman. I think that's because fair. Visually, uh, like when uh, Dr. Chase Meridian um, is stalking him and, and turns on the bat signal and he, he shows up, um, that's a terrible scene. Oh, but actually, he looks, he looks really good in it, you yeah. know, with his eyes and so forth. Like, okay, that's the kind of intensity that actually that you really want. Um, but just to stick on her character for a second, Nicole Kidman, who I like, I she, is, she is one note in that movie. She, she, is, she is hungry for Batman. And the minute she turns around and sees him come down, she's just starstruck. And for the rest of the movie, almost everything her character does has to do with being attached to Batman or attached to Bruce Wayne or both at the same time or deciding between the two of them. And she's, there's never a moment where she's not flirting with him. There's yeah. never a moment. Like it's, it's, it's like the only thing her character can do is she's very one note. And then I started thinking all the characters in this movie are one note. Yeah. Two-Face, he's never not manic. He's never not wanting to get revenge on Batman. Yeah. The Riddler is, is crazy right out of the gate. Like right out of the gate. He, he's not, a, he's not really in touch with, Reality, he has this view of Bruce Wayne and Bruce Wayne's opinion of him that does not really fit the reality. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He behaves in just this very frantic, manic kind of manner that really, uh, which, you know, I, I, I don't want to come down too hard on Jim Carrey as an actor because actually sometimes Jim Carrey works wonderfully. Yeah. I don't think he works in this. I did at the time. You didn't, yeah. I, I did. But it's just how right out of the gate the second he comes on screen and his interaction with his supervisor, the supervisor, is that how people act? Yeah. No, I, well, you know, well, it's, it, it, when you bring that up about how wrong psychologically the Riddler is in this film from the get-go, it's absolutely right. There's no, it's, it's okay to have a villain that doesn't have like a, a inflection point where something happens to them and then they become the villain. You can have sure. a villain like that. It can be done better. A guy like, that like the the character that Jim uh, the Jim Carrey portrays his uh, Edward Nigma is somebody who would never have lasted long enough to get to that position. Um, you uh, you have you have worked in a profession for many years that allows you to see that people who behave like that don't don't go far until they until they kind of get themselves under some control. And he is just like he's he's not somebody who's real, like you said, because they wouldn't get there without being somewhat normal. The other thing too that I always liked about Riddler is that he's not crazy in the way that say Joker is. And it seems like both Jim Carrey and Tommy Lee Jones are chasing the Jack Nicholson performance. To, to give you an illustration, my, 
I think the best way to understand the Riddler comes from a comic book, and I don't remember what issue it is, but Batman has to save the Riddler. He's in trouble. He's going to die really soon, like within the hour. And Batman's like, well, where are you? I'll come get you. <sighs> Riddler's like, ah, if I am a... No riddles. <laughs> Just tell me <laughs> where you're at. The streets look like... And he's like, just tell me where you're at. Time is running out. And, and Riddler says, I can't. I can't just tell you where I'm at. And then Batman has to solve the riddle to go save him. And Riddler is, is a guy who's very smart. And he's, he's an aggrieved person, sort of like Nygma becomes in this film. But it is because he's, in, I think in at least one iteration I'm familiar with, it's because he was swindled. You know, he was a designer. His designs get stolen. And he's like, okay, well, I'll be a criminal now. Maybe not the right approach. I would try the legal system first right, right. <laughs> to get to get my credit and my money. But Nigma goes straight to criminal mastermind. But he's pretty bright. So, but I always thought that was the key to Riddler. Not that he's crazy. Not that he does a bunch of voices. Because the only riddles we ever get out of him really are the postcards. And I think the riddles that he tries to hit Batman with at the end, which isn't really a riddle. Because it's just a Riddler asking questions about who are you really? Are you Bruce Wayne or are you Batman? Bruce Wayne is particularly well equipped to solve that particular riddle, so it's not a very good one. But but Riddler doesn't he doesn't say anything that makes me think of the Riddler. You know, he's just like I'm trying to do Jack Nicholson as if he were Jim Carrey, and I, that's what I think one of the big issues was. I think that I mean Jim Carrey was not a bad idea for the Riddler, but I think he just he just goes in and he just he's just Jim Carrey. Well, I mean, like uh, he's almost like you know. You remember the mask, which was a little bit before this. Oh, time. what a great yeah. comparison! Yeah, yeah, and he—he he basically that's a movie that called for him to do that. Absolutely. Um, but even in that film, when he wasn't wearing the mask, he—he he was doing kind of real acting. There's never, there's no contrast. And the same could be said of Tommy Lee Jones. Oh, absolutely. Who, you know, the only difference is, I mean, Jim Carrey's performance is out of place. Yeah. Uh, Tommy Lee Jones is both out of place and bad. Absolutely. Like, you know, it's um, it's actually, uh, you know, when you first brought up Tommy Lee Jones, I kind of said he's great. And, and what I meant was, I, I love Tommy Lee Jones. Oh, he's yeah. Been great in almost everything I've ever seen him in. And um, one glaring exception. This, one glaring exception. It is embarrassing. Every time that he is on screen, you kind of wish you weren't watching the movie with other people because oh, it's, it's really, it's really hard to watch. It is. And like you said, there's no sense of duality, really. He's got a scarred face, but he's he acts the same no matter which one's in, whether, whether it's Harvey or whether it's Two-Face in control. I mean, he has a few okay one-liners. Uh, I like it when he's talking to the security guard. And he's like, uh, okay, well, now we're going to see if you live or die. For viewers who don't know or listeners who don't know, uh, Harvey will makes all of his decisions based on the flip of a coin. So heads, it's... Uh, well, there's one side that I think it's both heads, but one side's scarred up and marred. So if the marred side comes up, then he's going to do the bad thing. If the other side comes up, he's going to do an okay thing. And uh, he flips the coin and he's like, well, now we got to see if you live or die. Oh, one, one more day of wine and roses, or in your case, beer and pizza. That's kind of a funny line. Yeah, yeah, That's kind yeah, of a funny yeah, line. yeah. Uh, he has very few of those. It goes back to a little bit about what you said, and it's going to come up a lot in the next film. That Schumacher, it's not that he thinks he's directing a comic book; he thinks he's directing a cartoon. You because did. because in the next film, he yells that before every take. Yeah. Yep. Remember, this is a cartoon, and well, that certainly is a very narrow conception of what cartoons can be. Uh, but he's definitely thinking of like Saturday morning. He's thinking yeah. of the super friends. He's thinking yeah. of these, you know, these bright colors and, and really one dimensional, as you said, one note, no people. That's not what is required 
in these in Batman films. Everybody suffers for it. As you say, they become one note. It is strange that, that Schumacher could take so many legitimately great actors. I mean, I think most of the most of the core of the people have won an Academy Award. I think so. Uh, maybe Val Kil- I know he's been nominated. Val Kilmer's at least yeah. been nominated. Not, none of them were nominated for this movie. Uh, Emily Jones won. Jim Carrey's even been nominated for an Academy Award, I think, for his Andy Kaufman biopic. Or maybe Certainly Bruce Nicole Hall. Kidman. Now, we haven't got to Robin yet, and he's introduced in this film. And that comes back to that weird tone thing that you were talking about, because the movie is often very funny. And then we have this, the origin of Robin, where he's a, Robin is a circus performer named Dick Grayson. He's at a performance, and Two-Face comes in, wants Batman to come forward and doesn't work out and Dick Grayson's family gets killed and that sets him on the path to become Robin. Now that was in the comic though, right? It is. Yeah, I don't, it wasn't Two-Face who did it, I don't think. No, 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 no. But, yeah. but, but the flying Graysons and all of the, that. Absolutely, yeah. And uh, See, I actually, I liked how they incorporated that. Oh, it was I, decent, I, yeah. yeah. One of the few highlights of the film, because uh, I, I was a critic of it back in the 90s when it came out, but I was, I was fairly happy with that, you know, marks against Tommy Lee Jones for not really, really making it a good scene for me. I like that they had the basic, the basic outline of the Robin outfits and the flying Graysons. That was great. Yeah. But the thing that I was really happy with, they hinted at a larger universe as Bruce is, is taking Dick in. Dick's like, Dick Grayson's like, oh, I gotta go find Two-Face. I gotta go kill everybody. I'm a trapeze artist, so I'm perfectly well equipped to do this. Right. And Dick Grayson's like, oh, and Bruce Wayne's like, well, I don't know, Dick. Uh, the circus is probably halfway to Metropolis by now. And I thought, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. oh maybe we're going to get the Superman movie or Batman and Superman. So I, mean, I, I remember being very excited by that that throwaway line. Chris O'Donnell was fine. I mean, I mean, actually, I mean, actually, uh, I did not like the laundry scene. Like some, some of those moments were just kind of dumb. But um, pause, pause for a second. The laundry scene. Do you know what that's a reference to? No. It's a scene. It's basically like an homage to a scene from a kung fu movie so, starring Yun Biao, I think that's his name, where he does this thing with the laundry where he uh, rings it all out doing martial arts moves. And he, uh, it's, it's a scene from a movie called Dreadnought. And as a kung fu student, uh, you like that. And a, and a student of, of kung fu cinema, I was like, oh, that was kind of a nice little nod to. Uh, okay. These this this kung fu movie that no one in the audience but me has seen. <laughs> yeah, well, I see. I didn't catch that. Yeah. So I mean, that Joel Schumacher gets some points then for yeah, that's something Quentin Tarantino would do. Exactly. Exactly. Um, the reason that I like Chris O'Donnell in in both films actually is that there were a lot of doubts that Robin could be depicted uh, and. and I don't want to now imply that it works because, you know, actually now I kind of feel like very few things in this film work, but I still think he's okay. Like, I mean, I mean, I don't think the film is, is worse for having Robin. And something that the film definitely benefits from, I think, and maybe you'll disagree with this, but I thought Chris O'Donnell and Val Kilmer had a really good chemistry together. As, yes. As, uh, and while I don't think that the storyline of this uh, partnership, how they come together, it's a very cliche kind of movement in the script where they, they, Bruce doesn't want him to be part of it. Then eventually, of course, they're like, we'll do this together as a team. You know, After all of the, re- the resistance to that idea, it's a very, for lack of a better descriptor, it's a very Tom Cruise moment where you get like this kind of callback from the, or kind of an inversion of the line, I'll never do this. And then at the end, well, I'll do this. You know, if that makes sense, I don't know if that does, but, but it's, a, it's one of the few story elements that I think works at least for the most part, but that's one of the few things. Well, I mean, 
I remember, you know, when they finally, okay, now we got Batman and Robin, they're going to go into, into action for the final, you know, action stuff. And, and I remember at the time being very happy, a third film, and now everybody's together. Yeah. And, um, which we haven't mentioned. The reason I said this was a, this could be seen as a soft reboot is A, because it does have some origin stuff. Yeah. B, because um, they bring back Alfred uh, and Pat Hingle as the commissioner, which are really them coming back are the only two things that actually tie it to the the previous two films. So it's almost like a James James Bond movie where you have many new cast members, but then there's the, the holdovers to kind of, you know, keep everything uh, you know, kind of in line. But another thing, um, I don't know if you know this, because, uh, you know, we haven't talked about the flashback and the origin scene that I just alluded to. Yeah, yeah. One of the things I noticed when watching at this time was his father's book, you know, and the, yeah. the wind's hitting the pages. And I, and I kind of lost track of, okay, what was that book? Like, you know, like... It, it was just barely mentioned. It was his father's diary. Yep. Well, apparently there's a, it's either a deleted scene or a scene that was not shot. I don't know which, where there's an entry in the diary from Thomas Wayne that says, don't really want to go out tonight, but Bruce is desperate to go to a movie. Ah. Kind of implying that there's, there's a source to his repressed guilt. Yeah. yeah. That would have worked better. Because uh, I think a lot of the, the, psycho- the psychological stuff between him and Dr. Meridian, it doesn't really go anywhere. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it, it gives us a scene where he go, you know, he falls down, and the bat's flying towards him, and this kind yeah. of thing. But I never really feel like that anything's really resolved, except oh, the bat is part of my psyche, kind of thing. Yeah, and I'm kind of thinking, well, we kind of knew that. I think Bruce, you kind of knew that. Yeah. So I actually think that that would have been a good element to it. It, it would have given some weight. Yeah, to that because I mean, I mean, it's not that those are bad scenes, but you you could have cut them out. And not, I mean, not I mean, alter the film. And not all. really altered the film very much at all. You've already got two villains. You've got Robin's story arc. You know, you could cut out a story arc from this film and, and it really wouldn't change much. The story of that repressed guilt could have been done better. In fact, is done better in Christopher Nolan's Batman Begins. Right, right. Uh, and, then done, and it's done better in like a fraction of the time when after the funeral of, of, of Martha... And Thomas, little Bruce says to Alfred, oh my God, it's my fault. I got them killed. I, I had to leave the film and, you know, I did this. And Michael Caine's unbeatable Alfred yeah. uh, comes, oh no, no, it's not your, not your responsibility. The only person who has responsibility is the guy who did, did the crime. So in like a minute of screen time, we get that guilt, which doesn't really resolve for Bruce in that film. Not perfectly, of course, because he gets led on this journey to to bring justice to Gotham. And this is something that you brought up, and I'm, I'm going to bring up Batman Begins a little bit here to kind of set the stage for, for the audience who is listening to us to understand kind of how we we have been able to observe a lot of these things about the earlier Batman films. In the last podcast, we talked about how low the stakes seem for Batman. Bruce should be showing some concern and some outrage at the the travesties that are co- that are committed around him. We see that more in the Chris Nolan Batman movies. He Chris Nolan's Bruce Wayne is about bringing justice to Gotham. He doesn't want to see anybody else go through what he went through. You know, he doesn't want corruption to. He doesn't want other people to be hurt. And we see that. We see that in him a bit more. And we actually see that a bit more, I think, in Val Kilmer. Yeah. In, in, in the scene where the Grayson family gets killed, 
Tommy Lee Jones as Two Face says, you know, what he? he says, Batman, reveal yourself. Bruce Wayne, without even a, a hesitation at all, jumps up and says, I'm Batman. Of course, he's drowned out by the crowd who's like, oh my God, get me out of here, which I think is exactly how Bruce Wayne would react. Mm-hmm. And that's that's a good scene. That's actually a very good scene. I See, and I agree with that. I think, the you know, the opening action scene sets the table very well. I, I like that scene a lot. Yeah. There's a lot of mileage in that movie that I would just rather not be in the car. Like the whole Riddler, you know, killing his supervisor. Those scenes are a slog to get through. I, I, yeah. I, I mean, they're hard to watch. You know, you, you again, you have this kind of manic, embarrassing almost uh, 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 performances from these actors. And uh, th- th- there are sections of the film that I just really don't enjoy anymore at all. Um, th- there are still scenes that are really good that yeah. that, that I did enjoy. Those but, have gotten uh, fewer, though, haven't they? Yeah. yeah the, did the did the climax work for you? The it seems like Riddler in in this film seems to create like an island for his satellite to suck brainwaves out of people. He's invented some kind of TV that projects images of television onto the minds to the brains of viewers all the while sucking their, their brain power out. But he seems to have created some kind of like artificial atoll out there in Gotham Harbor that Batman and Robin have to get to. What did you think of that scene? At the time, I, I was really happy with it. Okay. Um, this time, not, not as much. I remember at the time thinking that it was very clever, the uh, holy rusted metal Batman. You know, metal, it's got holes in it. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I, I, nice, I, yeah. I mean, it was kind of a nice call back to 66. Yeah. Where like oh god he's going to be doing those lines oh yeah. no he really didn't it was he was just reporting was... what he saw so I mean that's okay at yeah. the time I enjoyed it a lot better yeah. um, than I do now is it me or is there a logistical problem with like okay I like the idea of the two of them you know it's yeah. kind of the Spider Man thing you know uh, you know you can't save both kind of thing yeah. and and there's no Spider Man movies at this point so this is kind of an you know an original idea at the time at the time though i thought it was i thought it was the i thought they were inspired a bit by the gwen stacy death but there was no movie you're, that you're right you're right you're right yep and i mean now it's like oh well, god i mean and and you know i think the 2002 spider-man film does that with of course mary jane but yep. does that a lot better than this film but here's why and i don't know if i if I fell asleep, um, I, I was tempted to. <laughs> your brain to just turned off. Yeah, yeah. So they've got the two canisters, and they're both way separate from each other. Mm-hmm. Batman's in the middle. You know, he's looking at them, and 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 Riddler's doing his thing. Then they fall into these two separate shoots. Yeah. Then when he goes after them, they're going down the same. Yeah. I guess both. I guess both shoots feed into the same hole in which case though there was always a chance that he could save both of them yeah right so, oh absolutely well because what it seems like it's just a it's just like a floor that leads yeah. into that that weird elevator of death drop shaft there it wasn't yeah. two different tubes it was they're going to fall into the tube they're going to be pretty close to each other in time because uh they're falling into the same place you, for as clever a guy as riddler's supposed to be and also his this the mind of the riddler being augmented by the brainwave tv that he was basically that his brain was feeding on it well, seemed he like stole, he, would, he stole all of our neurons exactly. maybe, that, maybe that's why i enjoyed the movie exactly <laughs> exactly it's not a very ingenious trap for a guy who's supposed to be so brilliant Right. And it doesn't work and Batman saves both of them as he's supposed to after after answering the existential question that Riddler puts to him. And in, in and I, I do admit at the time I thought uh that it was kind of a, a nice dramatic scene. Looking back on it looking at it now, I don't think it's that great. Uh where right. Batman's like, Well, 
I'll have to save both of them because I'm both Batman and Bruce Wayne. And then he jumps off and saves them as, as they fall. I mean, I guess it was an okay scene at the time. I don't, I'm not as wild by it now because of what you said earlier, what well, you hinted at anyway earlier about the logistics. The island that they have to fly to makes no sense. Where was OSHA when this building was created? <laughs> I think somebody should have been there to say, look, this is just not gonna fly. Uh, this is a violation, this is a violation. Why do you have an elevator shaft with a spiked platform that, that looks just designed to kill people? I, I don't think that's going to work. Well, what, what is this radiation that seems to be being emitted for anyone who looks out their window who isn't watching your TV? Well, see, be careful what you ask for. You may get it because, I, because there's probably a deleted scene where they actually did that. And the Riddler's like, <gasps> you know, oh, that, yeah. that exaggerated kind of like. Oh, oh, they got me, and then and then he kills them or something. And no, but but you're but you're right. I mean, and, and that's and that's one of the things about the film that now, and this is a conversation that will continue on into talking about the next film. Yeah. Because one of the one of the things that I began to kind of then ask myself was, well, hold on a second. I mean, are you just being an asshole? Because, I mean, when it really comes down to it, you know, there's nothing wrong with making a campy film. No, nothing. There's nothing wrong with it. I mean, no. I mean, you know, why can't you just have fun with this movie? So I actually, I, I had to kind of really think about that as yeah. to, well, you know, why am I not enjoying this movie anymore? Yeah. Is it just because it's campy and what, I, I can't deal with camp? What, what's wrong with me? I, I haven't even put my finger on it, but Schumacher tries to create good camp yeah. and, and he fails. He doesn't do it. Yeah. And, and I'm not even sure that I've put my finger on why, because, um, yeah, I mean, these characters are very cardboard, but there, you know, there are good movies that have kind of one-dimensional cardboard characters. Maybe well, it's because, because the film seemed to promise more. Like, I feel like that the film promises one thing and then gives something else entirely. I think you're onto something there because I think, I think that's the problem. And it goes back to that, that tonal problem that you talked about earlier. At some points, it wants to be kind of a serious film. And then in, in almost the same breath, it wants to invoke the spirit of the not yet dead Adam West and, and try to have fun with that. And because Schumacher didn't write his film in such a way as to be one thing or the other, you get this mis mi mishmash of tones that don't work together. It's just coming on the, this movie came on the heels, not on, directly on the heels, but it is kind of in the same universe as Batman Returns. Unless you're going to give us a big signal, this is going to be a funnier movie. That, I think you provoke that reaction that you're talking about, which I don't, which is the, I can't put my finger on what's wrong with this. I mean, that's why I kind of think it didn't, it couldn't be one thing or the other. And, and so it, fails as both yeah yeah i mean that's i think that that fits what i'm trying to what i'm trying to think through because i i mean i guess i've already revealed you know my opinion of the film you loved it <laughs> i did at the time but yep. i mean i it, it fails well i mean as i said it does do some things better than than batman returns it yep. even does a, a few things better than the first film yep but on the but on the whole it's inferior to both of them i think so I, yep. I never thought I would say that, you know. I mean, I mean, even um, when the credits rolled, and, and, and you the have, seal, the seal song didn't win you over. No, well, but see, that's okay. Two things. First, you have the U two song, and then you have the seal song, which I remember the marketing at the time. That that seal song, which was a big hit, number one hit, I believe. Huge, yeah, yeah. And but I always it was a head scratcher. Why the hell is it in this movie? Yeah. And uh, apparently, it was originally intended to be in one of the 
romantic scenes between Bruce Wayne and Nicole Kim. And I did not see how that would have worked. So it was a good thing that they didn't do that. As I was sitting through the credits, I kind of realized, you know, really what Batman Forever is, Warner Brothers getting what they wanted. They wanted a film that would sell Happy Meals and put butts in seats. And they got it. I mean, they got what they wanted. And then, and that's one of the things I remember about the late 90s is that, you know, you, you go to Taco Bell or whatever. You yeah. always have the cup. Godzilla, you know, yeah. every summer, whatever was a blockbuster, there had to be some tie-in. I'm not even sure if they really do that. Not but in the late not 90s, in, yeah. Not in as big a way, but you're absolutely right. Um, and they got their toy, they got like the toy line. I remember walking through the toy aisle. I still do this to this day. Whenever I go into a big box store, I go to the toy aisle, see what action figures there are. I'm still kind of a collector. But there were f- action figures for this movie that had no connection to it. There was like arctic batman and there was all kinds of different 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 figures for this film and they weren't as good as the batman um, batman returns figures but they you know they sold the hell out of them i think they had a lot of different versions which is i suppose one of the reasons why they wanted to pack as many characters as they could get into it into it so you had two-faced characters you had riddler it doesn't work. That's my that's my verdict. It doesn't work. And and and, and I think that when the credits rolled and those two pop songs were playing, yeah. it was very clear to me that this is a uh, this is a summer blockbuster. Whereas the first two films, for all, for for any flaws that they have, yeah. are attempts to make relatively serious uh, cinema. Yeah, and, absolutely. And that's not what this is. This was this was aimed at the at the at the summer crowd. Yeah, it's a happy meal movie. Now I, I think that annoys me now more yeah. than it did because at the time you're surrounded by movies like that yeah um, absolutely and, and, and now of course i was also where i i didn't like every movie that came out at the time so yeah. but you know the film starts off with you know a, bat, a, a tim burton production and that's one of the things it clues you in oh well he's not directing it but we're we're in for the same kind of tone false advertisement Sorry about the abrupt ending there, guys, but uh, this was back in the days when we tried to do more than one movie in a single discussion. So that's where we're going to leave Batman Forever. Thumbs down, regrettably. And next week, we will be tackling Batman and Robin and kind of close out the Burtonverse films. Also, be on the lookout on Friday for a special bonus episode where we're going to tackle Daniel Craig's Casino Royale. We're going to do a whole month-long series of bonus episodes on the Craig Bond films in anticipation of the new James Bond movie, his final installment in the Bond series. So you know the drill, guys. Share us on social media. Share us with your friends. Share us on Facebook. Uh, We'll see you next week. Watch Batman and Robin. Let us know if we get it right. Bye-bye.